Welcome to the Create Something Awesome Today podcast, where it's all about educating and motivating creative pros and entrepreneurs from around the world with simple and easy to implement ideas. And of course, helping you create something awesome today. And now, welcome your host. He is the founder of Founder of Awesome Creator Academy, a YouTube educator, and the biggest Star Wars nerd you'll ever meet, Roberto Blake. Hey everyone, and welcome to the Create Something Awesome Today podcast. This is your host, Roberto Blake, helping you create something awesome today. Welcome to another episode. And today we're going to be talking about productivity and motivation. This one is going to be really important for a lot of you because I know it's something more and more people struggle with, especially when there's a new year on the horizon, a new season, a new quarter. And so I want to talk about that today because it is one of the things you really will have to focus on and address if you have a goal that you're setting out to do. And I want to talk about why it feels almost impossible to stay motivated and to stay productive and the things that kind of get in our way and what we can do about it. So that's kind of like what I want to talk about today. So real quickly... I just want to also thank the people who are subscribed to the podcast YouTube channel and who are part of the live viewing experience. I really do appreciate y'all. And if you want, you also can review the podcast both in Apple Podcast and in Spotify. And we'll be trying to get you updated as far as the new audio episodes and keep uploading and pushing those out. But in the meantime, I do also want to thank our wonderful sponsor, because when we do live stream, we're doing that across multiple platforms. So let's go ahead and get that out of the way. We thrive thanks to the support from our sponsors. Here's a word from one of them. StreamYard is the simplest solution for live streaming. It is what makes the Create Something Awesome Today podcast even possible. Not only does it let you stream record and manage your podcast easily and strip out the audio so that you can post it wherever you need to, but it also allows you to simulcast to multiple platforms at once. Right now, we are going live on Facebook, LinkedIn Live, YouTube, and Twitter all at the same time and with just a few clicks of a button. So if you want the simplest solution in live streaming, you'll definitely want to check out StreamYard using our link in the description and the show notes. You can also go to robertoblake.com slash go slash StreamYard. Go ahead and sign up completely free and make use of their features or choose one of their very affordable plans. And now back to the show. I really do love StreamYard and I do love doing this podcast. I love that we can do this as a video live stream and that also we can put it on multiple platforms. I also love the fact that it's actually really easy to strip out the audio when it comes to this podcast and get it uploaded. Uh, it's very simple. Now, with that in mind, you may have noticed that I've been doing the podcast more consistently than I've been doing any other type of content. And so... Well, you might think, well, okay, you're much more motivated to do the podcast. And while that's partly true, I am more motivated to do the podcast. It's also a matter of, okay, why am I not necessarily as motivated to do other things? What motivates me to do some things and not others? What motivates you to do some things and not others? Even if there's a tremendous upside, my main YouTube channel with 500,000 subscribers is something that probably makes me some of the most income, the most money. It has the most financial upside out of any way I could spend my time. Uh, affiliate marketing, the most financial upside long-term in terms of passive income out of anything that I could be doing. When I think about, okay, how could I be spending my time quote-unquote productively? Well, what do, we mean, what do we mean when we say productively? Do we mean what will help me make the most money? Do we mean what will help me accomplish any of my long-term goals? A lot of my long-term goals have already been accomplished. I've probably achieved somewhere between 85 and 90% of my overall long-term goals at this point, at least from a milestone and like financial standpoint, I've achieved like 80 to 90% of what I've set out to do, especially now that I'm a new homeowner. 
So in terms of obviously needing to own my home in, you know, outright, make sure that I'm on track for my retirement. Most of those things are close to being on an autopilot state. So what motivates me? Well, the thing is, it sounds weird to say, and it might sound pretentious to say, but it's like, I'm actually not as motivated by money as people would think. And part of that is because there is a such thing as the hedonic treadmill. And what people don't understand about the hedonic treadmill is that whether we're talking about money or whether we're talking about follower counts or YouTube counts or YouTube views or any measurable uh, success metric, the problem is once you normalize a specific level of success, it becomes more difficult to be excited because you, you're not stimulated by that anymore once it's your new normal. Once that becomes your default state, you have to elevate and take something to an even higher level to get the same levels of satisfaction. And this cycle repeats over and over and over in terms of your capacity to be motivated and to receive dopamine from an action. Uh, think about it like this. When you work out, 10 push-ups might feel really tough when you first start out. But once you have made that normal, it becomes easier and easier, and it no longer is some real challenge to you to do 10 push-ups. It takes 20 at that point to get that same level of challenge and level of difficulty. And once you normalize 20, it might take 40 to get the same level of fatigue and the same level of challenge out of it. Once you've started to get in shape and get healthy, then you know 10 or 20 doesn't do it anymore. Now you have to up the game. Maybe it's 40 now. Maybe it's 50. Maybe it's 100. So the same thing happens with any of your success. You end up on this hedonic treadmill where you, you need higher and higher levels of these things to become the same level of satisfied, which is why for some of you, you may not feel motivated in the same way as when you first started doing something. But I'm going to tell you a really simple trick to where you're not going to be dependent on feeling motivated to still then be productive because if you're not motivated and it's getting harder and harder to do something or to show up or to be consistent because the excitement's not there, the challenge isn't there, or it's not fun anymore, or you don't get that same rush or that same thrill, then what happened for a lot of it is that you just need, in order to still stay focused, you need to be committed to this as a routine and a habit, and you need to wire your brain to actually get the dopamine and the satisfaction from maintaining a habit instead of getting what the habit produces. And so that's different. So now it's about valuing the consistency instead of valuing the outcome itself. And that's a very difficult thing. That's why when I'd say, when motivation fails you, discipline will not. It's when the new challenge for us is just completing a task. When the new challenge is not what we feel about the task, but the completion, the consistency, that is what changes things for us. And that's what will actually make us more successful is when we start to normalize that. And when we're not relying on how we feel emotionally about the outcome or the benefits, and when the process itself and remaining faithful to the process, remaining faithful and committed to our goal, that is where we need to start drawing our satisfaction. And when we can do that, you become almost unstoppable. And so that's what it really becomes about. It becomes about like not wanting to break the chain instead of like, okay, I want this outcome. The new outcome is I don't wanna break the chain. This is why for those of you who are content creators, I tell you that uh, I don't like you setting a subscriber goal or a view goal as your outcome that you want like year to year. I think the thing that is more realistic and what makes sense is when you make a commitment and say, well, commit to putting out 50 videos this year or commit to putting out a video every week this year on a schedule or putting out two videos a week on a schedule or 100 videos for the year, commit to 100 pieces of content. I like when you commit to a process and to delivering something instead of, well, what you would get out of that. So instead of setting like, yes, you can theoretically in the back of your head have an income goal or a subscriber goal or anything in the back of your head, but your real goal should be about the thing that is the most controllable. And the thing that's most controllable is the commitment 
to consistency. You can't control how other people feel. So you can't control how many subs you get. You can't control the market. So you may not be able to control how much money you make in that way. But what you can control is, well, how much content am I going to produce? How many videos am I going to edit? How many videos am I going to publish? You can commit to that and you can control that. And so that's what makes a more realistic goal in my mind is that. And that's just using YouTube and content and making videos as an example. Another one could be committing to writing your book like I've been doing. Like, okay, I'm going to commit to an hour dedicated to working on my book like every day, Monday through Friday or seven days a week or whatever it is. You can commit to that. And so now the goal is, okay, well, I'm committing to my 500 words a day or my one hour a day or my five pages a day or my 10 pages a day until it's done. And that would actually keep you consistent, productive, and accomplishing something. And it's not exactly the same thing as checking a box. It is, however, making sure that you're giving yourself the best shot at success because you are making a commitment and you are honoring a promise that you're making to yourself or to other people. And long-term, people who are capable of making commitments, that requires discipline, it requires forethought, it requires intentionality, purposefulness, and it requires people to have integrity. Those are all tremendous qualities that lead to successful outcomes, successful relationships, and successful careers. And, and so that has a really good track record. So if you want to be successful, one of the most important things you could ever do is you don't have to have all this raw, raw motivation. You just have to be disciplined and committed to doing what you say you will do and following through on things. People who follow through tend to be much more successful than people who are at the whims of their emotions and their feelings. If you're at the mercy of your feelings, then stuff won't get done because that's not something that's entirely consistent and it's something that's not really predictable. But when you commit to a routine, to habits, when you are showing up, when something is not a non-negotiable line in the sand for you, well, that is going to have a much, much more clear determination of the outcome. It's not going to be up to luck at that point. It's not going to be up to luck at that point because you have a very measurable, fixed input that is going to determine that output. And so now it's not tied to something much more abstract, like whether you feel like it. And so for any of you who are struggling with motivation, focus on discipline and consistency instead. Now, you do need energy to be able to do things. So let's start at a really good foundation point, physical energy. If we want to stay uh, productive, I tell people that productivity isn't always about time management. It's usually starting with energy management. It's a lot easier to be productive if you have physical energy and stamina. And so that means if you um, are working out and you have good blood flow, you're probably going to be a lot better when it comes to having energy. If you're staying hydrated, you're probably going to be more productive and um, better when it comes to having energy and being able to do work. If you are making sure that you're resting and you're well rested, then it's going to be much easier to do work and to do effective work instead of busy work. Because what a lot of people do is they mistake being busy for being productive. People mistake and conflate being busy with being truly productive. And that's a big deal. It's a big deal because busy work is meaningless. It's not going to really help you achieve your goal. It's just a merit badge. I hate that businesses and schools really put people kind of like in a position where they end up just glorifying and doing busy work. And what they don't do is they don't do meaningful, productive work that is actually truly making a dent on the outcome or the desired goal that they're supposed to have. So where I would say to focus on productivity, we talked a little bit about discipline versus motivation. Let's talk about the energy that you need with productivity. The foundation of that starts with your body. So guess what? Eating healthy, uh, eating healthy, 
eating regularly, eating scheduled, uh, hydrating, being well-rested. None of this is like health advice that I need to be some kind of certified person or some physician to give you. This is just common sense. Like this is just good old common sense is, hey, get some sleep. Hey, drink water. Hey, get your blood pumping, get some circulation in there, get some oxygen, go take some walks, go get some sun, go get some oxygen, let's go. That's just common sense. So that's like dealing with your physical energy right then and there. Let's talk about some of your emotional energy. Let's talk about your emotional energy. Doing things that pump you up, doing things that invigorate you, doing things that spark your creativity and your imagination, that's in your best interest. It's also in your best interest to not run down the clock and obsessed with be obsessed with like working for two hours straight with, without stopping. That's just another stupid merit badge. That's not real productivity. That's just a stupid merit badge. Okay. You don't need to be doing that. That's just more busy work. That's not good, clean, focused, deep work. Good, clean, focused, deep work means that you're taking some type of break uh, in between every 25 uh, minutes of work or every uh, 30, 60, like whatever you want to do. I use the Pomodoro technique. I work for 25 minutes, then I take a five-minute break. Podcast and live streaming are the exceptions, okay? Coaching calls are the exceptions. But if I'm doing anything else, I work for 25 minutes, and I go and I stop for five minutes, and I come back to it fresh. And then I do another 25 minutes, and then I stop, and I come back to it fresh. And like I said, the exceptions are live streaming, coaching calls, training, workshops, obviously public speaking, and just anything that's like a live experience, okay? So when it comes to those things, obviously I can't take a break in between. I have to just go, go, go. But if I prep beforehand, don't spread myself thin, then I can do those things. Like before I did the show tonight, I like I was rested and I'm going to rest right afterward, you know? So, and then I'm going to go to sleep because this is a late night edition of the podcast. This is a night owl edition, but it's one of those things to where, okay, why is that happening? Well, it's because I rested so much earlier in the day. So making sure that you are eating things that give you energy, making sure that you're physically prepared, that's one thing. But as far as emotionally prepared, knowing what excites you and gives you energy and keeps you motivated, knowing that you have a clean and organized environment that's gonna help you emotionally. Being organized and having your work area be clean is gonna help you with your emotional energy and decreasing your stress levels. You want to have a much more um, healthier amount of emotional energy to approach productivity with, focus, on removing and limiting some of the factors of stress that are draining you emotionally, um, set boundaries and limits with people who emotionally drain you, do things like maybe turn off the notifications on your cell phone or put stuff on do not disturb mode or whatever, do things that will allow you to stay present, focused and energized and positive Put yourself in a good mood. Give yourself a reward for your hard work. Do something that makes you feel good about yourself. Like really invest in having emotional energy and you'll be more productive. Invest in having physical energy, you'll be more productive. Eliminate things that are mentally draining, like your mental energy. Like think about, again, sources of stress, sources of anxiety, Go ahead and reduce or eliminate those things. Eliminate, you want more mental energy to be productive? Eliminate distractions. One of the things I did is I have a home office downstairs. Not everyone can do that. I understand. Not everyone can do that. But the reason I set a home office downstairs and um, you know made the dining room into the office is because in my bedroom upstairs, that is a place that's completely predicated on being basically my fortress of solitude. It is a place where I can rest, relax, recharge, be inspired, and can just, you know, store up energy. And that's very important for me as an introvert. It's a place where I can do that and rebuild. Then I can come down here and I can expend that energy. So having separation is going to be really important, especially for those of you working from home. And not everyone working from home will be able to completely separate a different room to work in 
versus all their other living space. But you need to get as much separation as possible. Maybe that's a corner. Maybe it's a dedicated desk. Maybe it's a corner of your room or a corner of your house. You need some separation. And when you are in work mode, you need boundaries and you need people to not invade your space when it comes to work, distracting you with things that exist outside of your work. And that's just how it is. Because again, that's going to divide too much of your mental and emotional energy and bandwidth. So that's going to really help you when it comes to just actually literally having a foundation for any of your productivity. All right. So that's something that I really wanted to talk about because I know that's like something that people are struggling with right now when it comes to their work-life balance, when it comes to working from home, there's just a lot in the world going on right now. And people have not adapted to this. I've been doing the work from home thing for about 10 years. So I, I know exactly how this song and dance works. This isn't something new for me in the last two years. There are a lot of things that are new for me in the last two years, but working from home isn't one of them. So when it comes to that, understanding how to create the appropriate separation, the appropriate boundaries, how to like energize themselves, all of that is just what you need to be focusing on and what you need to do in order to put yourself in the best position to be successful. So that's what like, so that's what I really believe in when it comes to this kind of thing. You should be focused in my mind more on how do we manage and control our energy first. And then after that, let's think about controlling our time more. So let's, let's go to that part when it comes to, okay, well now, all right, we've got our energy up. What do we do about using it appropriately to be productive? And when it comes to um, our time, like, you know, what's that look like? So for me, in terms of time management, I like to do something that other people don't do. I like to, instead, a lot of people like to focus on getting a big thing out of the way, and then moving on and then everything is easier. I personally disagree with that, but you can figure out what works best for you. I'm not gonna say that one thing is better from the other, but here is a different perspective. Instead of knocking out the most difficult thing and then being drained and exhausted and then knowing there's still more stuff to do, even if it is easier, I don't like that. What I like doing is I like doing the simplest, easiest, fastest thing first so that I can see it done and I can feel momentum and I can feel progress and I'm getting increasing confidence as I tackle things. My momentum and my confidence is built up because all of these things are behind me and I can feel really good about that. I can feel pumped and confident to tackle the much more difficult, bigger thing um, at you know toward the end um, because I am like just gaining some positive reinforcement from the work that's already completed. A lot of the work completed might be a prerequisite that helps the larger project. And on top of that, um, the confidence that just comes from seeing something has been accomplished for the effort that I've put in. That's something that makes the most sense to me. And that's something that reinvigorates me and makes it easier to work throughout um, the day or any project is just like, breaking things down, doing the simplest thing first, doing the thing that's fast and uncomplicated and saying, oh, that's done. That's a win. It's out of the way. Move on to the next. I also don't like to put like things. I don't like to put too many things in front of me at once. You can get overwhelmed very easily if you put too many things in front of you at once. So like these endless massive to-do lists aren't really that meaningful. And they really aren't that helpful. I mean, I think most of you probably listening to this or watching this, you probably understand that. You probably have tried doing these endless to-do lists and it's more discouraging than anything else. So it's not even really that helpful. Having it somewhere so that you have a roadmap for everything that does need to get done and you have a means of accountability, that's helpful on some level, that's meaningful on some level but you don't need that to be right in front of you minute to minute. I think only having three to five things in front of you at a time 
is enough and that it's really much more meaningful if you do it that way because there's like there's like a realistic expectation of okay once i cross the threshold if it's three things in front of me oh i've got one of them done i'm 33 percent of the way done already so getting number one out of the way that's motivating it's motivating as hell but it's like i'm a third done already the time you get the second thing done two thirds of the way i'm 66 percent done and i get one more thing done and i'm and it's like i've done accomplished a lot and then oh so that three things if you put five things in front of you by the time you get two of them done like oh wow i'm 40 percent of the way done almost halfway you get three done you cross that threshold much easier to do next two things because you're 60 percent of the way done you get four things out of the five i'm 80 percent of the way done and even if you had to stop there you don't feel as bad about it because it's like well i got 80 percent of this stuff done that's not too bad four out of five i'm good so like if you had to stop for any reason you don't feel as terrible about it so there's just like a realistic meaningful approach to doing these things because when you break it down into a reasonable digestible thing that you can tackle because if you put a list of 10 things in front of you it, it just feels even when you do any of it it feels like a drop in the bucket if you put 10 things in front of you and you get two or three of them done it feels like a drop in the bucket because you got this you got twice as many things left in front of you to complete so it's so easy for that to be overwhelming and to be unsatisfying, you know? And that's like really difficult. That's like really difficult to do. And so I just think that a lot of people, they're, the endless to-do list is probably what's demotivating them and making them as the most unproductive. And I speak from experience saying that. It's just too long. It just feels like it never ends. And it, it's not really that motivating. And in a lot of ways, it can make you do sloppy work because you're just trying to get the, the checks off the box and you're trying to move on. So like, you know, that's something that I've been thinking a lot about when it comes to how people plan their new year's resolutions or to when they are trying to set goals for themselves or even when they're trying to do youtube or even when they're trying to start a business people make the mistake of trying to do everything at once and not considering the mental energy that that takes the physical energy that takes the emotional energy that takes and they don't do anything to renew that they don't do anything to build up to it and then they're surprised when what they're experiencing is burnout and fatigue. And so what happens is people blame things like hustle for why they're burned out and they're exhausted when what is really the problem is a lack of self-awareness, a lack of understanding one's limitations and trying to work for the sake of working or busy work or working because you want to show off to other people that you're working hard um, instead of actually working smart, because what actually working smart would look like is knowing what's reasonable for you, for your situation and circumstances, and what is going to actually help you follow through on a commitment that you've made and actually accomplish what you want. That's what working smart would look like. And that's what working hard would look like. But what people are trying to do is a lot of times their work isn't designed for the sake of productivity or accomplishing their goals. A lot of time, their work somewhat is a status play or a commentary on the people around them. And they feel that by working more, working more hours, that's some merit badge that they can earn. Or by like, you know, working very aggressively and not taking breaks, that's some merit badge they can earn. And it's like, who are you trying to impress? Who are you trying to impress? You know? My work ethic and outworking people isn't for the sake of impressing anybody else. It's so that I know I have a competitive advantage to make up for any of my other disadvantages. If I have some kind of, I'm a big fan of anime. A lot of you know that about me. I'm a big anime nerd. There's this anime that's out there. I'm gonna side, I'm gonna just like sidebar for a minute. There's an anime out there from 
back in the day uh, that some of you may be familiar with called uh, Naruto. And if you're not, it's basically a um, it's a story that's about ninjas and it's about a young outcast who um, tries to overcome his disadvantages and the fact that he's the village pariah. And you meet a lot of other young teenage ninjas that have their own chip on their shoulder and their own struggle. Well, there's a character in that series called uh, Rock Lee. And Lee found out that he has no talent. He has no innate natural ability whatsoever. His name is Rock Lee. He's surrounded by all these gifted geniuses with a pedigree and who come from a bloodline. So imagine, so it's an underdog story, basically. It's imagine that you're up against a bunch of these gifted, sheltered geniuses with all the talent in the universe from their bloodline and who have been told they're destined for greatness. And you're told that because you don't come from anywhere special and you're a nobody, that you'll never, no matter how hard you work, be on par with them. Well, this kid said, screw that. And he just decided that he can prove that his ninja way, um, what they call a nindo, is his ninja way is that hard work beats talent and that he will beat the crap out of all these gifted geniuses and he will prove that um, you can overcome your disadvantages through sheer effort and willpower alone. And I love this because it's my own background. It's my own story. So it's like, so I love this. And a lot of people do. A lot of people who grew up in that era a couple of years ago uh, relate to Rock Lee and his story and they relate to this anime. And this is some of the reasons that people like the storytelling in anime and non-Western media more. It's because they can find uh, something that resonates with their story or their identity in it more than they can in a lot of more Western media or in traditional stories and so on and so forth. And I bring this up just because like this idea of literally um, I'll hold myself accountable that if I mess up, I'll work 10 times harder and I will just keep going. And whatever looks unreasonable to other people, you know, whatever looks unreasonable to other people, it's not unreasonable to me because if I don't have their advantages, I will not only close the gap, I will supersede them because for someone born with that privilege, for someone born with those gifts, why would they ever feel the need to work as hard as me? That's fine. They don't have to. They can coast on their talent all they want, but I'll break through my limits on my own terms in my own way, and I'll show them what I can do is just as good as what they can do because what I can work for can be as good or better than what they were born with. And so that's like the messaging of that. And I love that messaging. And I don't think it's uh, hokey or really fictitious because I literally have lived it and I've seen other people live it. And so, yes, there are some advantages or disadvantages that are harder to overcome than others. But the philosophy of that is meaningful. And it's not as much about even showing off to other people, even though I know it can sound like that despite what I just said, it is about the fact that this is your way, this is your path to achieving the things that you want, to getting what your dream is. And it doesn't matter if other people believe that it's reasonable or worthwhile to pursue or that you can even do it because you'll just prove them wrong in the end, you know? And you're not really doing it for them or for the sake of proving them wrong. You're doing it to prove it to yourself. You're doing it to prove it to yourself. So for me, a primary example of my YouTube success is the fact that I made 1,500 videos. That's what it took for me to get half a million subscribers. I had to make 1,500 videos. I don't have the talent that other people had, but I can work hard. Like, And that's just what it is. I don't have... Um, Mr. Beast talent for ideas and spectacle and larger than life projects. I don't have Mark Rober's gift of engineering and I don't have that, uh, that ability. I don't necessarily have uh, Colin and Samir or Casey Neistat's gifts when it comes to their brand of storytelling. Uh, I just don't. But what I can do that other people can't is I have um, a very unique set of skills. Um, and it's very interesting because I have versatility. I have adaptability. 
I'm good at a lot of different things and more than just average at them. And I don't say that to brag. I just say that is literally what my ability is. My ability is that I can do overlapping interlinking skills that are in creativity and business and tech, and I can be more than above average at them. And I have the tremendous work ethic to work at them on top of that. I don't have a singular, unique, genius gift like other people. I have adaptability at a level that most people don't, and I can combine those things and I can make something very new and very potent out of them. Because the thing is, I haven't mastered that ability 100% yet. I'm not at 100%. I've probably only mastered my ability to about roughly, maybe I would argue about 30 or 40% of its potential. I've only mastered my ability to about maybe 30 or 40% of its actual potential. I haven't mastered that ability. I would say that the people that we're talking about here, I would say they've mastered their ability to 80 to 90% of their ability. That's not to say that they've gone as far as they can go. It's that that 80, 90% is going to carry them to the heights that it's going to carry them. I'm talking about their ability to get much, much better at the thing that they're doing. They're so good at it that there might be another 20 or 10% better to go in terms of their full potential. Um, there's like... My thing is much more broad because it's not a narrow skill focus. So that means that to go any deeper on it, just it takes a lot more energy and a lot more executions. And that's a very different type of path. And that's the other thing is the self-awareness of me to know that their gifts are different than mine. Their gifts are much more straightforward, much more practical in my mind, much more practical to go deep on, their thing is much more practical to go deep on. It makes total sense. And you can get further faster with that, not even close. It's going to take a lot more energy and commitment on my part to get anything more out of my uh, abilities and to refine my abilities. And so knowing the difference between how you operate and what productivity, work, work ethic, and talent um, means for you and what you can do is radically different than, you know, and knowing how radically different it is than somebody else's and not truly comparing yourself to compete, but looking at those differences and understanding that you shouldn't be measuring yourself against other people's mastery or other people's genius. You should be focusing on your unique abilities and adapting those to your own unique advantage because their way doesn't need to be your way. So that's the other thing about just working differently, like working differently, realizing that your style, making your own style, making your own me operating method, doing what works for you is going to make you more productive. It's going to make you more successful. It's going to be a better use of your attention, your energy, and your focus. And this is why I also don't believe in playing status games and keeping up with the Joneses. You don't play status games, keep up the Joneses. That's not really the way to be successful. The way to be successful is self-awareness, self-discipline, and self-mastery. That's the way to truly be successful is you have to be able to go all in on you. And you have to be more about that. But what a lot of people do is they get emotionally leveraged in playing status games and comparison games and chasing other people. And that's the mistake. Um, what you can do is you can learn from other people. You can analyze from other people. You can borrow from other people. But at the end of the day, you have to walk your own path. You know, you have to accomplish your own goals for your own reasons and for your own sake and by your own hand, frankly. And so when we, when we look at what other people do or don't have, it's just a distraction. And I've told you, one of the most important things you can do, if you want to be more productive and you want to be more motivated, you have to eliminate distractions, which means at some point you have to have a little bit of tunnel vision. You have to have a little bit of tunnel vision. You have to focus on your goal and on your operating procedure and on your methods and not think and look 
at what other people are doing because it's just going to be a distraction because you're going to start thinking that that's what you should be doing with no evidence that it's actually any better for you or any evidence that's actually meaningful for you and for you achieving your goals. What I think we have to do is I think we have to have the self-awareness to know, all right, what are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? What are the opportunities that exist for people like me? What are the threats or vulnerabilities for someone like me? The foundation of that is you have to be very, very self-aware in order to be able to answer those questions. And you have to not BS yourself. You have to not BS yourself. You have to know what you're good at. So I know that I'm good at communication. I'm good at talking. I'm good at talking. We all know that, right? So guess what? That's a strength. The opportunity for somebody who's good at talking is podcasting, commentary, and educational talking head videos. Those are opportunities that are aligned to the strength of you're good at talking. Okay? I'm good at visual communication. So where are the opportunities for someone good at visual communication that an aesthetic, graphic design, video editing, animation, motion graphics, illustration, those are things that are suited to the natural strengths or the training of someone who has a background in uh, visual communication and art. So, okay, I have good visual communication and good art skills. Guess what? Those are the opportunities that exist for me. All right. What are some weaknesses? Okay. Um, weaknesses. ADHD. Okay. So what's the threat and vulnerability to someone who has that weakness? I'm easily distracted. I need routines to ground me. Um, I need accountability partners. And there will be focus issues. And it's also hard for me to get motivated to do anything that I'm not very excited about or doesn't have novelty or isn't challenging to me. So that means what I need to balance that out is I need support, I need systems, and I need strategies that can counter all of those vulnerabilities. See, that's why self-awareness is important. You have to know your strengths and you have to know your weaknesses. You have to know the opportunities that play to your strengths. You need to know the threats and vulnerabilities that leverage your weaknesses. And then you got to come up with things to enhance your strengths, take advantage of your opportunities. You need to do things to mitigate your weaknesses, offset them, and eliminate their liability and threat to you and to your goals. That's what will make you more productive. That's what will help you be focused and motivated. That is what will make you successful. The foundation of it will be the self-awareness of those things. Same thing with self-awareness about your physical limitations. This is, and your strengths. So again, if you're looking for the motivation and productivity side of things, the foundation of it's gonna be self-awareness, then it's going to be self-discipline, then it's gonna be self-mastery. You're gonna need discipline to get you through when you're not motivated. When I'm not motivated, when I'm distracted, when I have issues with my ADHD, the thing that helps is discipline. It's people who will hold me accountable. It's systems that can automate away some of my problems. It's knowing that there are strategies for me to reduce stress, anxiety, and there are routines and systems to keep me organized, keep me on track, and to make my distractions harder to indulge in. See, that is where my productivity really comes from, is from having the appropriate systems, strategy, and support to deal with all of that. And so that's the framework I use. Systems, strategies, and support. You know? And also, here's another one for you. Yeah, make things as simple as possible. You make it simple to affect uh, positive habits. You make those positive habits as simple to execute on as possible. So simplicity is also a part of that. Now, when you have these things in place and you're working on them, this is what's going to ultimately build up your success over a long period of time. This is what's going to be massively, massively helpful for the far majority of you. The absence of these things make it much more difficult to succeed and mean that you're more um, emotionally leveraged or you're dependent on circumstance, this mitigates the dependency on everything just needing to go well, because this also lets you have strategies for when things don't go well. Preparedness 
neutralizes bad luck because you may not have prepared for something specific in every turn. You can't think of everything, but you can think of the most likely, most predictable, most common things given the situation and given the circumstances. You can prepare for the most likely negative things that would impact something by being mindful and thoughtful and studying it. The most likely bad scenarios, you can prepare for those or the most damaging ones. You can prepare for those and attempt to neutralize them as much as possible. Preparedness is your antidote for that anxiety about circumstances and bad luck. So that's the, that's the thing that you need to consider. And any of your known weaknesses, vulnerabilities, or disadvantages, here's the good news. They're likely not so new or not so novel that there hasn't been someone to ever figure out a solution to a problem that you're currently having. You see, people have this very, very arrogant idea that their problems are special. And I know how I sound saying that. I know that sounds reductive or condescending, but like, let's just be very real. Let, let me speak very plainly to you. I'm a blunt, plain speaker a lot of the times. There's probably not a single problem that you have that has never been experienced by another human being over the last 10,000 years. It's very unlikely. It's very unlikely. Now, that being said, that means that there's an answer or a solution for it. Now, whether that answer or solution is easy to come by or easy to implement is a horse of another color. But the fact is, most problems are solvable and they are not a novelty. Most of your problems aren't some kind of novelty. They're not some kind of unique curse that you have because most of us just aren't that special to be smited by eldritch gods and abominations to have some unrelenting, um, dark manifestation cloud hanging over us, smiting everything that we do in life. Most of us ain't that special. <laughs> okay? So uh, the cosmic forces haven't conspired against you. You're not fighting that particular uphill battle. So once you realize that, you realize that, well, since my problems are probably mundane, that means that somebody somewhere has an answer to them. Somebody somewhere came up with a strategy to counter this exact problem, this exact circumstance, this exact situation. And so knowing that, all I have to do is deploy the most reasonable version of that that my situation allows for. Whatever that is, whatever that looks like. When you realize that, it's a lot less stressful. When you realize my problems aren't special, my problems are not unique, my problems are not unsolvable, it reduces your anxiety tenfold. It reduces your anxiety tenfold when you tell yourself that and when you understand that. And then you can reduce it 20-fold by implementing a solution that's already worked for somebody else in your circumstances. So that's the good news. And the internet has made it much easier, much more easier to find those solutions, find that information. It's made it a lot more accessible in a lot of cases. It's made it a lot more affordable in a lot of cases. So that's the good news. Like, that's the good news. You'd be surprised in some weird ways realizing how not special you are in some respects is ridiculously comforting. I agree. Um, it's ridiculously comforting sometimes because when you when you put it in perspective, it becomes manageable. It becomes manageable. So now it's not emotionally overwhelming, right? I think a lot of you probably can relate to that. So once you know that, you can find a strategy, a solution. You can put a system in place. Uh, you can simplify things, and uh, you can get the support that you need, and it'll be much easier to deal with. And again, depending on your, obviously depending on your circumstances and situations, some of this will be easier. Some of this will be more affordable. Some of this will be more accessible. Some of this will be more reasonable. It depends. And so yes, some situations that won't be as true as others. And I can respect that. But the thing is, I'm trying to give you a much more optimistic outlook here. So it's not about you just trying to contrive a way to make this impossible because that's just something that our minds like to do. We like to contrive a way to make our circumstances much more special and meaningful and, um, you know, make it this impossible thing that rationalizes us taking the path of least resistance or giving up. 
And this is why motivation is hard. Motivation is hard because we are wired. We are programmed. This is not your fault. As a human being, you're programmed to want to go to the path of least resistance. You're programmed to want to seek out cheap dopamine. That's not your fault. What is, is if you never address it, you never acknowledge it, and you never build up your resistance to that, and you never build up the discipline to counter that natural instinct. We have to have a discipline and we have to have orderly minds that allow us to not ignore our instincts, but to overcome our natural instincts when they get in the way of what's actually best for us and what we want for ourselves. If your natural inclinations and instincts are getting in the way of what you want, you have to have the mental discipline and fortitude to overcome them with actions that go in an opposite direction of that. So you need to counter it because it's just easier. It's just easier to not risk embarrassment and make YouTube content or do a podcast. Or it's easier to not walk up to somebody and conjure a friendship out of thin air and risk rejection. It's easier to be agreeable and not try to negotiate a higher salary. Those aren't better outcomes just because they're easier. And the problem I have with the current culture of society is everyone is predicating everything on how easy they can make things and how easy things are or how easy they would like things to be. And the most practical thing you could possibly do is to stop trying to get to an easier way of doing things and acclimate yourself to making a challenging thing less difficult by getting used to the idea of it being challenging. That's why the sports analogy and fitness analogy of earlier of, well, 10 push-ups feels hard until you get used to it. Then it's barely an inconvenience and it's 20 to feel the same kind of pressure or challenge. And then when that's normalized, it takes 40 to get the same amount of pain and frustration and fatigue. So our answer is not to make things easier by taking on just easy, low-level, low-hanging fruit, simple things all the time. You can start there. There's nothing wrong with starting there. But you need to build up the confidence and discipline and the ability to just make something that was challenging feel less challenging by actually doing it consistently, getting good at it, getting stronger. Build up your strength. And that thing that was challenging a year ago will feel like nothing a year later. You do it the first time, it's hard. By the hundredth time, it's barely an inconvenience. By the thousand time, it's nothing. It's meaningless. By time 10,000, you don't notice. So that's the key here, is just increasing the level of challenge and difficulty in what we do and acclimating ourselves to that, normalizing doing difficult, challenging things, and then that builds up our natural immunity and resistance to them. And by the time you do that for enough years, you are only ever competing at a very, very high level. You see, because primary example, 99% of people, they won't learn to code. They won't learn a software suite. They won't learn design. They won't learn video editing. They won't write a book. They won't do public speaking. They won't. So like what you can do that would differentiate you and make you successful is making yourself competitive at a thing where competition is harsh, but the barrier to entry is being willing to do something difficult. The barrier to, if the barrier to entry is the willingness to do something difficult, well, you're going to find yourself much less disposable in your career and in your life because the majority of people are not going to do that. They, if, the, if the barrier to entry to doing the highest paying jobs in America became the ability to run an eight-minute mile and the ability to do um, 100 push-ups in under three minutes, well, there might be less people earning a lot of money or we'd have a lot of fit people walking around now, wouldn't we? We'd have a, we'd either have a lot of fit people walking around or a lot less people with high salaries. <laughs> like that's just how it is. It's like so. Just imagine if the uh, if if like 
the ability to do physically difficult things was the barrier to entry, more people would either do them or we'd have less people that have those outcomes. And but the thing is, people don't and people understand that because they look at sports and they go, yep, that's why everybody can't be in the NFL. That's why blah, blah, blah. They, they understand that when it comes to the idea of things that are actually more reasonable and more accessible, mental skills, creative skills, things you can train at, things you could become good at through practice, repetition, hard work, self-education. A lot of people refuse to do the difficult thing of even just starting or even just trying or seeing things through uh, and doing a lot of it and doing that repetition or making good habits a priority in the process of repetition and practice. Because you could just you could just incrementally get good at those things over time without necessarily the natural innate ability for them. I mean, regardless of what natural abilities you think I might have, my first go watch my first YouTube channel. Uh, go watch my Roberto Blake YouTube channel, my main YouTube channel. Go watch my first ten videos. Just go watch my first ten videos sometime. Just kill a Saturday or something or a Sunday. Watch my first ten videos. They're horrible. It'll be a struggle for you to get through those videos because my on-camera presence and delivery was crap. It wasn't even a fraction of what it is today. It's not even close. It's a it's it's embarrassing. And I leave it up because it shows you, hey, if you don't think you're cut out for this, hey, get a load of my first tries, right? So I leave up those embarrassing videos from 2009 to motivate you guys so that you can see like what, like, okay, and this, and he became this? Like, well, wow, if he was making that crappy content and this is where he is and everything, I ain't got nothing to worry about. Like you, you know, uh, sometimes it can be motivating to see people's humble beginnings. Sometimes that can motivate you because um, sometimes we can't help ourselves when it comes to comparing. So like, maybe that would motivate you. Maybe that would make you try a little bit harder. Maybe that would get you started is because while well, a lot of you, the reason you get discouraged, the reason you get demotivated is you're looking at people's current situation and you're comparing your beginning to their middle or you're comparing your beginning to their end. And that's not that helpful. And that's not that meaningful. And that's just a way to demotivate yourself and discourage yourself from even trying or starting or or any of it. So when when I see what I see a lot of people doing is a lot of people are just talking themselves out of even starting largely because they they don't appreciate the fact that everyone starts somewhere. And so they contrive, a lot of times people contrive all these reasons why um, it's unfair or this or that. And, and the reality is fairness has nothing to do with it, honestly. Um, it really just comes down to, well, that's not you, so don't worry about it. And I mean that, I mean that. I don't worry about like, do you realize that I do not dwell and I do not worry about other people's advantages and other people's privilege or any of that. I don't worry about that. Either. You know why? It's got nothing to do with me and them having it worse would not improve my situation. Like, I'll be very real with you. I'll be straightforward. I'll be blunt about something. I never lose sleep about billionaires having some unfair advantage. I never lose any sleep about it. I don't care. They might as well not exist in that regard. I don't need them to not exist to make me any happier. I like I would not be happier if Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk lost all their money. I would not be any happier. I would not care. I would actually feel bad for them. And uh, when they win, I feel happy for them. You know why? I'm mentally very disciplined and very healthy in that way that I do not need other people to fail to make me feel better about myself. So that's number one. Number two, other people's successes don't make me feel bad about myself. You, if you think back to high school, I think a lot of you might remember C and D students who bullied, harassed, and beat up A students and honor roll students and nerds and stuff like that because they felt bad about their own situation and their own struggle. And somehow we've never escaped the hell that is high school. <laughs> like we, we're forever in high school, apparently throughout life, it's purgatory to where all you have now is in society and culture is... Uh, people who hate seeing other people be successful. They hate seeing other people live their best life. And they'll contrive every excuse or moral argument they want for it, but it's still just a C or a D student being mad and trying to take it out on an A student. That's all it is because it has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with you. 
they, they, they're them having it better or worse. There's nothing that could happen to these people that will drastically improve your life or make it worse. The thing that has the best chance of improving your life or making your life worse is the physical actions that you take, the mental attitude that you have, and how you manage your emotional control or how you let other people manage your emotional control. And so one of the first immediate things that affects your life, honestly, is the people around you. Yes, no man is an island, as they say. But you know what? It's probably not strangers you've never met that have the most impact on your life outside of maybe your local government. The people that have the most impact on your life are the people you spend time with every single day that are either lifting you up or putting you down. It's either people investing and supporting you or people taking advantage of you and genuinely out to hurt you or undermine your successes or undermine your confidence. The, per the people who affect your life, it's the bullies that bullied you in high school and robbed you of your confidence. It's the parent who didn't support your dreams. It's the significant other or the spouse that disrespects you. If they're, do if they're doing that, it's a bad situation if that happens. Um, you know, I can definitely speak to some of that as the, as someone who grew up in a single parent home is that sometimes you have to distance yourself or walk away from unhealthy, toxic relationships, unhealthy, toxic friendships, unhealthy, toxic family members. And it's hard and it's rough, but you got to cut those people out of your life. Sometimes, sometimes you got to cut people out of your life because they really, really don't want what's best for you. They really don't want what's best for you. And they don't even want like better for themselves. They just don't want you to be happy because it'll make them insecure. Like when they should really just work on themselves and leave you alone, you know, it, it, and not everyone has to root for you, but they could at least do you a favor and just leave you the hell alone. <laughs> and if they won't do that, you got to set boundaries and you got to have consequences and you got to get them out of there and you got to have some consequences. You got to enforce those boundaries. So that's really important. We did a whole podcast episode about boundaries for a reason. So you have to do that. You know, it's not about toxic positivity and people only rooting for you with no criticism. It's the fact that most people criticizing you don't want you to get better. They want you to do things that make them feel better. They don't want you to actually get better. So you have to take, you have to question the source of criticism. You have to question whether it's valid criticism, logical criticism. And here's the thing, like, Constructive criticism is accurate, actionable advice that is in the best interest of the subject. Accurate, actionable advice that is in the best interest of the subject. How are people going to tell you what's in your best interest if they've never questioned you about what you want? How are, how are people who've never asked questions about what you want, never asked questions about your circumstances, don't know anything about what you're up against, what you have to work with, how are they going to tell you what's in your best interest and give you any valid constructive criticism? It's really hard to get valid constructive criticism from people in your life that should know better, let alone a damn stranger. That's why it's not that I don't believe that there's a such thing as valid criticism. I believe that someone who defends their opinions by saying I'm giving you constructive or valid criticism probably isn't. I think you should be massively, massively skeptical of people who give unsolicited constructive criticism. I think you should be massively skeptical of that. Because I don't believe that those people genuinely are looking out for you. I have no reason to believe that, and probably neither do you. Because if you audit your life and you look at, well, how many people have given me meaningful constructive criticism that was for my benefit and actually helped me, it'll be a really damn short list, I promise you. Percentage-wise, it will be a short list. It will very, very much not be 20% of the people who've given you criticism gave you good, meaningful, constructive criticism that bettered your life. I doubt it. I doubt it's even 20%. I'd be shocked if you have a top 10 list of people who gave you valid, constructive criticism. I'd be shocked. I'd be shocked if you need more than both your hands to count the number of people that have given you constructive criticism that was genuinely helpful and meaningful, assuming you didn't get coaching and pay for it or something like that, uh, or it was like not outside of maybe a teacher, specifically a teacher, someone who's theoretically trained to do it properly. I doubt it.
I love this um, this comment from one of our live viewers, uh, that backyard life. He says, the only people who have a problem with your boundaries are the people who benefit from you having none. That's really good. I'm going to definitely borrow that. Like, that's really good. So, so I think that there's, I think that there's a real issue with people having their motivation stripped from them by people who actually don't want what's best for them or to truly, truly see them accomplish their goals or to be successful. Um, so I think that that's another factor when it comes to being motivated and productive is there are people that, um, that definitely don't help with that. Gord Isman says, after several years of health problems, I've overcome a lot to come back to YouTube. I will never quit in my heart and know that my calling is to serve. I have more patience and gratitude with my progress. That's really good, Gord. That's like, that's really smart. And like, yeah, there's a lot of things that people, you know, struggle to overcome, um, myself included. And you, yeah, you just have to know that there's a reason behind what you're doing. And uh, sometimes it's not going to be easy. It's a matter of whether it's worth it. It's a matter of whether it's worth it. So uh, I think about that quite a bit. And so what I would say to a lot of you is look a lot closer at in life, that self-awareness aspect we talked about of assessing your strengths, tying those strengths to the opportunities most suited to someone like you, looking at your true weaknesses, and then looking at the vulnerabilities and threats to someone like you, and then uh, focusing on preparedness, focusing on what is a strategy that helps me? What is a system that helps me? What support do I need to address those things? And I think that that will be very meaningful for you. And so that's where I think we're going to end today's episode as far as this uh, podcast. And for the people who are watching live with us on YouTube, we're going to go to a quick rapid fire type Q&A. So I hope you enjoy that. This is one of those episodes that's going to be great for you to share or to watch the replay of. There's a lot of tips that I think are actionable here. And so um, I hope this podcast is a source of motivation for you to be able to focus a lot more and that it's giving you meaningful, actionable advice that you can actually implement. And uh, that's kind of the theme of the program here. So with that, I'm going to close out the show and then we're going to go to rapid fire Q&A with the live viewers. If you want to be part of the live experience and you're listening to this anywhere else, then make sure you're subscribed with notifications on to the YouTube channel. We'll catch you on the next one. Stay awesome. This episode has ended, but your creative journey continues. Visit createsomethingawesometoday.com and access all links and resources mentioned in today's show, all designed to help you create something awesome today.